So, we predicted the men's singles champion. Yes, we did. Go us. As for the women, yeah, that one didn't go quite as planned. You know, next time we might as well put all the women in the draw in a wheel of fortune type spinny wheel thing and spin for the winner. Actually, you're right. But only qualifiers, teenagers, and wild cards. That might be more reliable than our prediction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Shravya and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravya and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for. So we hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for more. So, today we have the date being September 15th. That was a new and weird way of saying that, but we're rolling with it. So, today we have episode 73 for you, and we will be recapping the U.S. Open, mostly the final. Definitely focusing on the finals. Um, More than two of them, because we also had doubles and wheelchair and there's a lot of great stuff happening everywhere so stay tuned but first we have our hot headlines for you we're just gonna break down some of the some of the hot stuff that came from the week hot stuff especially quite literally coming from the met gala yeah hot stuff definitely yeah so if you don't know what the met gala is i'm not the right person that you should yeah ask. i don't know what it is i don't either. really know what i just it is. know people dress fancy it's and go to the a place museum. where a bunch of rich people and celebrities well celebrities who also are obviously rich people go <laughs> in like very fancy elaborate clothes almost like costumes it's like to f- the met yeah. i think it's, it's an event to raise money for the met naomi osaka was what? one of the quote-unquote hosts this year yeah i think it raises money for the met um and for, who cares Tennis players were in attendance. Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka, Venus Williams, Maria Sharapova, Sharapova, (laughs) Felix Ogieliasim, Sloane Stephens, Matteo Berrettini, Ayla Tomljanovic, Emma Raducanu, Leila Fernandez, and Barbara Krejcikova was also there. I saw pictures. (laughs) And obviously amazing. Josephine and I spent the entire day on Tuesday literally just sending each other photos of a bunch of tennis players at the Met Gala. Yep. Um, you know, feeding over oh them, God. thirsting over <laughs> them, in awe over how amazing they looked, and At all the first, photo moments. Like the Mateo and Isla situation was hilarious. Oh yes, because they were <laughs> they were only in the background of pictures, yep. but you could tell Shabby it was them. Send me photos, and I'd be like, uh, "You see these people in the middle? They're photo bombing." And <laughs> the people photo bombing included Lord. Like, who cares about Lord yeah. being in the picture? We're tennis Mateo fans. Hello. Are in the back. Also, vaccination was required for the Met Gala, so that means that all of these lovely tennis players have been vaccinated, so we love that for them. Um, very uh, nice to see uh, that within, you know. No, no, Daniil, no, no. Yeah, I, I don't know why Daniil wasn't there. I don't know why Djokovic wasn't there. I mean, Djokovic we know isn't vaccinated. Daniil, I have no idea, actually, but... Focusing on the positives, uh, context I guess. clues. Context clues. <laughs> yeah, focusing on the positives. These tennis stars were vaccinated, attended the event. They looked great. Seemed like a pretty fun time, except that all their food there was plant based and vegan. I would not have enjoyed that. I, I don't did think. not get that far into the details of what happened inside. All I saw was what they wore. Yeah, and they all looked amazing, especially so. like all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. And we have another hot headline. Yes, we do. So, uh, there's this tennis player. You may have heard of her. Her name is Simona Halep. Yes, that's right. Our French... 2020 French Open... 2018. That was Sophia Kennan, right? No. That was Iga. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about Iga. (laughs) So want to have the 2018 Oh, Barbara Krejcikova, who was at the Met Gala. See, I was getting somewhere. Yes. Anyways, Simona Halep, previous Grand Slam champion. That's what Australian we're going to call Open, it. Wimbledon, and, and Wimbledon. French Open. Yes. Okay. 
Actually, so. wait, no, not Australian Open. No. She lost to Wozniacki, not Australian Open. Okay. Wimbledon so. and French Open. <laughs> so, Anyways. <laughs> now that we have her achievements straight, uh, Simona Halep actually got married today. And I completely didn't know. Shravia knew. And then all of a sudden, I opened Instagram, and I see on Simona Halep's Instagram two people dancing. And she had, like, a heart as a caption. And I was like, oh, she went to a wedding. That's cute. And she was posting. And then I was like, wait. After I saw congratulations, Simona, in the comments. And I was like, wait, what? And then I asked Ravia to confirm. And then she was like, yeah. Simona got married today. She looked great. The wedding photos were awesome. We're super happy for her. One thing that I tweeted actually a little bit ago is that Tennis has been really stealing the fashion game lately. I mean, we started with the U.S. Open trophy photos. I mean, Danielle was obviously, you know, in whatever, a regular outfit. <laughs> Emma had a really cute dress. Um, I always like looking at the trophy photos after Grand Slams. I think the players do a really good job of dressing really nice for those. Um, so we had the trophy photos. Then we had the Met Gala. And then we had Simona Halep's wedding, and her dress was absolutely beautiful. So it's been nice to have a little bit of a reprieve from you know, the intensity of the U.S. Open in terms of, like, watching tennis. We're definitely taking a break from watching tennis. We know there are a few, like, ATP Challenger events and some WTA 250s going on. Right now, we just need time to process the U.S. Open and kind of regain energy for the indoor season and Indian Wells. But at least this time it's not because... It's not because this was traumatic. Exactly. Usually, it's because it was yes. extremely traumatic and we need time to recover mentally. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, In I think the most traumatic thing that happened this tournament was that Ash Barty loss. And that took time for us to recover yeah. from. But No, because it was within two days that everyone was gone. Yeah. And we would just look at the draw like, where, where is everyone? Yeah. But I think it's safe yeah. to say now that we're, I think, you know, the Met Gala yeah. was the perfect sort of, um, I was going to say cake topper, but that is not the right euphemism. Cherry, cherry top. Yes, cherry yeah. on top. Cherry on top. For this wonderful yeah. um, past month or so in New York yeah. City for tennis. But, um, but that's not our main point. Our main point is Alina and Gael got married. Simona got married. You know who's next? You know who needs to be next? They need to be next? I know who you're talking about. They need to be next. They looked so hot in the Met Gala photos. But yeah. I don't want to rush it. You know, they can do what they want. They they have their time. But yeah. I think about their wedding often. <laughs> now, we're a Gen Z tennis podcast, right? And the Gen Z representation that we got on the WTA side of this tournament was absolutely, mm-hmm. like, fantastic. There's so much to talk about here. We're going to start with the WTA side first at the U.S. Open Finals. We had Emma Raducanu, 18 years old, defeating Leila Fernandez, just turned 19 literally two days before the final, or a few days before the final. 6-4, um, 6-3. Six, six, a bit of a deceiving scoreline because Layla did put up a fight. Layla's been playing amazing tennis these past few weeks. They both have. But let's unpack this history-making win for a bit here. So I actually thought it was pretty fitting that they were playing the song Teenage Dream in Ash Stadium during the trophy ceremony. I don't think there's any better way they to put that They probably that, right? Of course they planned that. No. Um, and this was the first all-teen U.S. Open final since 1999, where it was Martina Hingis versus Serena Williams. And Raducanu was the first qualifier to win a Grand Slam, and she did so without dropping a singer, single set from qualifying till now. And she actually had something interesting to say about that. And you've obviously probably heard these stats and seen these stats on social media a bunch about this whole teenager thing, this whole qualifier thing, this whole not dropping a set thing. But um, as we said, there's a lot more about this matchup and about both of these young women, about Emma especially, that um, is key to discuss here. Yeah, what she said was, I'd say even though I didn't on paper drop a set, I think I faced a lot of adversity in every single one of my matches. I can pick moments where I was down, even if the scoreline was showing one thing. The dynamic of the points and the games, there were long deuce games. Just to come through those are important. I think what we can remember is in that Shelby Rogers match, like when she was trying to serve out the match, I think maybe 5-2 or 5-3 in the second set, 
That deuce game went on forever. She had so many match points that she lost, and then it took a while to close that match out, and that's just one example mm-hmm. um, of, you know, those tough moments. So she really did fight through um, in all of her matches, I think. But, yeah, just she really did just kick everyone off to the side and was like, yeah, I'm going to do this in my fourth ever pro event and just win the whole thing. Yeah, it reminds me definitely of what Iga did last year at the French Open. Mm -hmm. Just the way that, like, how, like, tennis players can get into that zone. Like, usually it just happens for the match, but in these, like, rare occasions, like what Emma was able to do, they can, like, tune into it for an entire tournament, and that's really what happened here. Like, just elite tennis. I think also coming through qualifying, that's kind of... We always talk about how... Uh, we we I think we use the phrase a lot on the podcast. We talk about confidence boosting wins. Like I feel like this mm-hmm. little thing that you and I talk about a lot. I think qualifying was a big you know thing for Emma in that regard. I think for someone like Botic van de Zandvoort, that was a similar thing. Like or Oscar Ate. Like but Emma obviously being the biggest one out of those three. But just having those qualifying wins to sort of know that you're match tested, to know that you're warmed up, mm-hmm. to know that you're already the in courts, the zone. Honestly, the same yeah, courts. I think that really helps. And another point I would like to make is we talked about this a little bit in our last episode, but it's the belief. And same with Iga. Like when you're younger, Emma talked about this too. She's like, I don't feel any pressure. Like, I just feel like I'm loose, I'm young, I don't have that many expectations, yeah. I can just go out and play. Look at what Carlos did. Look at what Brooksby did. Look at what Fernandez did. Look at what Raducanu did. They all came in with that belief. They all And once they saw that they were able to do it, the others were able to do it, you know, I think that really carried through for both of them. Of, like, this team of Gen Zers that just made it through the tournament together. It was really impressive. It definitely was. So, in addition to being the first qualifier to win a Grand Slam, she was also the first British woman to win a Slam since Virginia Wade in 1977. So, Wade and Tim Henman were actually among the British tennis icons in the crowd supporting Emma. Like, when they panned to their... Like, to where they were, it was so funny. Virginia was cheering like a maniac. She was, like, really yeah, acting. she I was loved into it. it. Yes. <laughs> so... Emma actually said in her trophy ceremony that their presence gave her the belief to win, so it's really great. I mean, Andy Murray was missing, though, so... Well, Andy Murray actually commented on this later. He didn't publicly congratulate her, but he said that he privately messaged her and they had a conversation privately, and he was like, it's not my style to do this type of stuff, um, you know, in public, and honestly, that's even better. Like, I think that... That's so sweet. And Andy has been one to praise Emma for a while now, I think ever since her Wimbledon run. Um, But let's actually go into a little bit of a slightly controversial moment that happened in the match that was a very short-lived controversy. I think we need to get the facts straight about it because it really isn't a controversy. But basically, a medical timeout happened. So it was at a crucial moment of the match. Layla was about to break back on Raducanu's serve as she was serving at 5-3, I think, in the second set. Um... And Raducanu slid during a really epic point, and she fell and scraped her knee, and her knee started bleeding. Um, so Emma, you know, they I the chair umpire said, "Layla, like that's the point that Layla got a break point in that would have been like yeah. a crucial turning point yep. in the match. That's yep. why it was controversial." Yeah. So um, what happened was, so Emma started bleeding, and the chair umpire said that she had to, you know, go to her seat, get the physiotherapist out there because she was bleeding. And the rules say that if a player, quote, if a player is bleeding, the chair umpire must stop play as soon as possible and the sports physiotherapist must be called to the court by the chair umpire for evaluation and treatment. The sports physiotherapist, in conjunction with the tournament doctor, if appropriate, will evaluate the source of the bleeding and will request a medical timeout for treatment if necessary. Um, And it also says that um, they may allow up to a total of five minutes to assure control of the bleeding. I think the medical timeout was about four minutes-ish. And basically, while it wasn't a serious injury, Emma was forced to take a medical timeout because they needed enough time to stop the bleeding completely and put that bandage on. Um, So everything was done by the book. Everything was done by the rules. Emma did absolutely nothing wrong it's i mean sure it was unfortunate that it was at that moment of the match um and we're going to talk about layla's reactions in just a second but just to clarify this was all done by the book 
Yeah. So, like I was saying before, this was at a very crucial point in the match. So, it was definitely just unlucky. Um, But Layla was very frustrated, actually, at, like, when this was happening. And she started tearing up, even, because she was... She was arguing, I believe, with the with the tournament supervisor. With the supervisor, um, while Emma was in her medical timeout. So everyone said that she was like wasting energy that she could have used for the match, like emotional energy. But um, yeah, it was definitely just unfortunate. It was an understandable reaction. Yeah, from Layla. it was because it was it was just incredibly unlucky. That's yeah, yeah. just the time that it happened. Yeah, so she, afterwards, what she said was, it just happened in the heat of the moment. It was just too bad that it happened in that specific moment with me, with the momentum. But it's sports. It's tennis. Just got to move on. And then she admitted that the rules were followed and that nothing went wrong with the way the situation was handled. But, of course, she was upset because of how unlucky she got in that moment. But... Even Emma said in her post-match press conference that she didn't want to stop playing, but the chair umpire said that she had to because of the blood. And you could even see that after, like, when she was holding the trophy, like, after the trophy ceremony, when, like, all the people had already left the stand, she took a photo with her team, Mm -hmm. and the knee was, like, still, like, fresh blood, like, on the gauze. Like, I don't even think, like, because... I, based on what she was saying and based on her movement in those last couple of points, I don't really think it was a serious injury and oh, that it no. was hampering her it was movement. It was like a scrape. But I, it's, again, just the issue of blood. It's a biohazard. You can't have that dripping onto the court. Obviously, totally makes sense. Unlucky, but I still think that, I mean, it's as Layla said, it's sports. You're going to learn how to handle those moments. And full credit to Emma, obviously, still for such an amazing performance in that match but one other thing we want to highlight is that this was the first ever grand slam final with two players of asian descent both playing which i thought was amazing to see as an asian american myself um that was really inspiring to see that you know especially with a younger generation especially with female players we're starting to see a more representation in the tennis world um i think that kind of started with Obviously, going back all the way to Serena and Venus, but I think with Naomi Osaka coming in the limelight, and also, I think there's a point to be made about how at the Met Gala, you had representation from Felix, Layla, Emma, um, Serena, Venus, Naomi. Um, I think that was a Sloan as well. Um, I think that was really inspiring to see, but... Um, Layla's mother is Filipino-Canadian and her father is from Ecuador and Emma's father is Romanian and her mother is Chinese so obviously a big multicultural background for both of these players but um, it's just great to see that we're seeing more representation at these higher levels and also that as kind of sports and media become increasingly intertwined and you can see a lot of business opportunities and sponsorship opportunities like we've seen with Naomi Osaka rise to stardom. I think people like Layla and Emma, who have already been branded to have so much quote-unquote like star power, um, becoming bigger sensations in each of their respective countries and around the world is only going to sort of add to the fact that we'll be seeing more and more representation in the sporting world. Yeah. So speaking of which and that success, Emma's ranking is actually going to increase from 150 to 23 so she's in the top 25 which is huge and of course that guarantees spots into main draws so maybe like wasting that energy in qualifying and just making straight into the main draw will be good for her we'll see because like we were saying those confidence boosting wins definitely added to her success but yeah she was totally unfazed throughout the tournament like we said and she noted that she was playing loose and without pressure because of her youth and age so yeah just basically a perfect tournament from her she didn't drop a set yeah she just like completely knocked belinda benjic the olympic gold medalist right off the court and sarah cerebus tormo (laughs) that was painful I yeah. was not. I thought she was going to yeah. put up a fight. Maybe yeah. she did. Maybe Emma was just too good. Yeah. Emma's success has been coming really rapidly. Um, she had won two ITF titles before this. This was just her fourth pro-level event. She hasn't played a pro WTA tour-level match, which basically means a non-Grand Slam 
match on the WTA Tour non-ITF match, so like a 250, 500, or 1,000 event kind of match. She hasn't done that yet. Um, but, you know, following up her Wimbledon round of 16 performance, she unfortunately had to retire there. We talked about that and, you know, um, a little bit about how that was perceived and how, you know, that was such a great run for her. But coming out with a Grand Slam title, like, that's amazing. I think there's a lot to still learn about Raducanu and her game. Josefina was actually talking about this with me before. Like, we were impressed by how aggressively she plays, but how, like, intelligently as well. You know, she's hitting, she's moving her opponent all around the court, but she she's not making mistakes. So easy. It's effortless, just like, you know, how she made her entire run look effortless. But this is the thing that we find really cool about Raducanu. Yeah. So we're actually just discussing this because I didn't know this actually until very recently, as in like 10 minutes ago. (laughs) She completed high school. So she didn't attend a tennis academy. She didn't skip high school to focus on her career. She completed all of her education like normally and she actually finished her exams right before the grass season started so right before that um Wimbledon run to the round of 16 which is crazy and I mean we've seen more and more how um like education in the tennis Mm -hmm. world has risen up like with players like Jennifer Brady, Mackenzie McDonald, Kevin Anderson. Kevin Anderson. Yeah jinx. Even the um mixed doubles final at the U.S. Open, Desiree Krawczyk, um, Joe Salisbury, and then almost, and I'm blanking on the other woman's name. Her first name is Juliana. But they all went to college. They all played college tennis. They all went to college. Look at them now. They're playing in the U.S. Open mixed doubles finals. So go to college. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's awesome to see that she's a part of this group. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens with her in university. I mean, she's really, like, she just won a Grand Slam, so this mm-hmm. is really, like, a key point where she would choose between an education and the Pro Tour. And I But mean, we're also seeing people, like, the WTA has actually set up a program oh, where yes. they help yeah. their players obtain who, a degree. Shelby Rogers Shelby and Nicole Rogers, Melichar yeah. are two examples of players who participated in that program the WTA helping out with it I think is such a cool thing yeah and I really hope that you know we're, we're gonna see these sort of what used to be the traditional path of quit education get homeschooled or go to a tennis academy and then just like immediately start playing I think that we're seeing now more and more that you can be you know attend school or like you can you know complete your education fairly normally and still have the success I think is definitely going to be a big cultural shift in sort of junior tennis I feel like that would might be interesting to see um yeah some other you know we talked about some star-studded congratulations that Emma received she kind of went on a whole American breakfast show tour the day a couple days after she won good morning America etc etc um she also received congratulations from the royal family but like who cares about the royal family's congratulations when andy freaking murray privately messaged her i mean he is a knight so it's like the same thing exactly all right we obviously don't want to leave layla fernandez out of the conversation because she was also a sensation these past few weeks she brought an incredible energy to new york um people started calling her little celebration after she won points the statue of liberty because you know how she would like put her like arm up (laughs) after she would win like an epic point i thought that was adorable um you know she stole the hearts of new york city and she arguably i don't even think it's an argument she beat better players on her route to the final she had more impressive wins in my opinion in terms of the players she beat because i mean osaka kerber sudalina sabalenka that sabalenka match i was watching so incredibly impressive and they were all tight matches and she's had a great year overall i mean we discussed her title win earlier in monterey um this year as well so she's been doing well like this is an amazing season for her yeah definitely and i mean she's one of those players that we've been talking about and then i mean she just happened to do well (laughs) definitely not just because we were talking about her yeah it definitely was anyways um some notable quotes from her like because i mean she displayed phenomenal sportsmanship throughout especially 
at the end when it came to the trophy ceremony and having to give up the trophy to Emma. But yeah, she was still, she's just a phenomenal person. Um, She said, it is incredible. I have no idea what to say. Today is going to be hard, but Emma played amazing. Congratulations. I am very proud of myself and having the New York crowd has been amazing. Thank you so much, New York. Thank you, everyone. I hope to be right back here in the finals this time with the trophy, the right trophy. (laughs) And the crowd cheered for her, of course. And then after her finalist speech, Layla asked for the mic back to add this. She said, I know on this day, it's especially hard for New York and everyone around the United States. I just want to say that I hope I can be as strong and resilient as New York has been these last 20 years. Thank you for always having my back. Thank you for cheering for me. I love you, New York. And I mean, wow. She was referring to, yeah, she was referring to 9-11 because it happened to be 9-11 on the day of the women's final. And it was also the 20th anniversary of it this year so um yeah it was so big of her to mention so mature so much class she's 19 she just played in her first ever grand slam final a very emotional past two weeks for her she lost the final but i thought she takes the time yeah she took the time to ask for the mic back and say this she was in tears while she was saying it i also got emotional when i heard that because that was just really such it was so impressive it it was so it was amazing emma as well showed amazing sportsmanship she was praising fernandez's you know her incredible run in the tournament saying the level was extremely high and i hope we play each other in many more tournaments and hopefully finals layla is always going to play great tennis and fight that is why she's in the final i knew i would have to dig deep and then in terms of like her future thoughts on you know what she's going to do next after winning her first grand slam i think she had the perfect response she said i definitely think it's the time to just switch off from any future thoughts or any plans any schedule I've got absolutely no clue. Right now, no care in the world. I'm just loving life. And I think you could see IMG Tennis released a video of Emma getting ready for the Met Gala. It was so cute and so, you know, sweet to see her so happy and carefree. I think you can really see that her attitude right now is just like over the moon, on top of the world, um, just sort of relaxing, staying at ease because, I mean, she's 18. She just won a Grand Slam final. There's no need to you know, feed into the pressure when she can just, you know, be on cloud nine, as she should. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, congratulations to Emma. I mean, both a phenomenal final from both. But, I mean, we do have something to say regarding Emma. Not directly her, but kind of the hype and how she became popular so fast. I mean, obviously, it is well-deserved. She's been playing stellar tennis, and she's super sweet on and off the court. I mean, she just has an amazing game. She's an amazing player. But um, we just, we hope that this kind of, like, because she became popular so fast. Like, Mm -hmm. within the, basically within these three weeks of the U.S. Open, and it just we hope the pressure doesn't mount up and start to affect her like it would many other players i mean so far she's shown that she's incredibly mature mm-hmm. so i mean honestly we're not it, that worried but i mean still it's just so much all at the same time and it's so easy um, now because of all we were talking about this before with you know media and with you know becoming a sensation so fast at such a young age especially as a woman especially as you know a woman of asian descent i think that just like adds up um mm -hmm. you know so i just i think another thing that we noticed was that you know, this new next gen, like this next next gen is making a huge appearance in the WTA tour. It kind of started with Ika Swiatek and, you know, Raducanu says herself, it shows the future of women's tennis and depth of the game is so great. Every player in the draw has a shot at winning any tournament. I hope the next generation can follow on the steps of some of the legends. For example, Billie Jean right here, referring to BJK. Um, so obviously we see this kind of new generation um coming through with Emma and Layla being the key examples in this tournament um but something that Josephina and I started noticing was kind of the difference in the attention that both of them were getting I think both of them were being hyped up actually throughout the entire tournament I think Layla was actually like a big superstar in terms of like after beating all those big players but I think that um you know while they were both amazing young stars I think you can see 
that the limelight that Emma was getting was different than the limelight that Layla was getting. Um, and when we talk about hype, obviously both these two young women deserve the hype. But I think something that we were noticing, it's kind of disappointing for us as female tennis fans to see people commenting about things about Emma that don't have to do with her most amazing achievement. Like, uh, like not valuing her for her tennis and her athleticism first, um, rather than more superficial things. Because Like her present appearance. That's basically what yeah, we're Yeah, that's basically what say. we're saying. Because Layla and Emma both, like, trust me, we both think they're beautiful and whatever. But I think it's just something, a pattern that has been really present in tennis from the beginning, whether it be from Anna Kornikova to Maria Sharapova to Eugenie Bouchard to Emma Raducanu, a lot of this sort of focus on appearance and focus on shaping a female athlete to be, to conform to or to represent ideas of femininity rather than athleticism is something that's yeah. been a common thread um, throughout sport. And that's something that Josephina and I were trying to, we're starting to notice from our own friends, even from our own like friends who watch tennis, we were noticing this and we were just like, wow, okay. And I don't want this to come off as we're berating Emma in any way. That's not what we're doing. Because no, it, it just has nothing to do with her. It's it just, has nothing to do with her. It's just an observation in the seen. way that what we've seen some people, um, you know, view her as. But I mean, tennis comes first and these two young ladies really capped off their New York dream with the Met Gala that was amazing to see um and I think one thing to note is these two young women brought more attention to the U.S. Open than anyone else did the women's final received 3.4 million views on TV while the men's final received 2.7 million views um you know, their star power on... How much did you hear about the Djokovic calendar slam throughout this tournament? Because I did not hear about it that much. I heard more about Raducanu and Fernandez being the teenage dreams than I did about Djokovic's calendar slam. That's how much star power and attention and good attention they brought to the sport. Like, even my friends who don't follow tennis at all came up to me on the first day of school and were, like, talking to me about the all-teenage final. And I was like, that's pretty awesome. You've seen their Instagram following skyrocket. I think that that's something that I was so excited to see, that this new young generation of women's tennis is bringing so much good attention to the sport. And, you know, it's obviously shouldn't be a competition between who's going to get more views, the WTA or the ATP. But any attention is good attention for the sport, whether it be on the ATP side or the WTA side. Any good attention, I mean. Um, And these two women really brought it. Yeah, but I guess before we cap, like, the WTA side of that, like, what you were saying about the views, like, in comparison when it came to the finals, we've really seen, like, in the past, the fact that women's tennis apparently gets less views to be an excuse for whatever discrimination Mm -hmm. there may be, whether it be Mm -hmm. with prize money or Mm -hmm. literally anything else, but it's mostly prize money and pay. But here, this is literally proof that it's really starting to even out which is just amazing to see and it's great that it's like the gen z girls that are ringing in like the new fans and i mean we're so here for it this is definitely amazing and the epitome of what we stand for so so now we're moving on to the atp where Drum roll, please. Yeah, we had Daniel Medvedev defeating Novak Djokovic. 6-4, 6-4, 6-4. That's right, people. Straight sets. But, I mean, I really don't understand why everyone's so shocked when we said this would happen. Like, we literally warned you, but everyone continued. Like, oh, Djokovic is going to get his calendar slam. Blah, blah, blah. No. From day one, we knew it was going to be Medvedev. Our bracket is so happy right now. It is. Well, not so, really. It's just the winner. Yeah, it's just the winner. So Djokovic is obviously playing for her the first men's singles calendar Grand Slam since 1969, which was accomplished by Rod Laver, not in the open era, however. Um, so obviously now that he wasn't able to 
do that. Steffi Graf is still the only person in the open era to have achieved the calendar slam plus the golden slam. Um, so Daniil Medvedev instead took his maiden grand slam title and it was just, just everything about this was iconic. So this was the first time that one of the big three lost a slam final to someone that wasn't of their generation. Um, and that's kind of crazy to think because that generation has been dominating, well, really those three, maybe add Wawrinka, Murray in there, if you'd like, have been dominating the slam for so long. Um, and I think we got a little glimpse of that with the TM breakthrough, a little glimpse of that with the Medvedev and Tsitsipas slam breakthroughs these past few years. But to see this finally happen was really crazy. And Medvedev is a favorite of Josefina and I, so we were happy. Yeah, and it's definitely something that's like kind of a monument of the new generation and how they're finally starting to like break their way through like of course they were on the tour before but like the a grand slam title is like a definite point in tennis history and it's really great to see that it was Medvedev that did it out of the kind of new new generation of tennis players well well now there's Carlos Alcaraz and Felix Auger-Aliassime so Medvedev TM no. TM? Is TM part of that? That's no, what the I little never three understood. is Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and Zverev is what people refer to okay. them as. So then that generation of players, it's really great to see them finally break through. I mean, the big three were not letting up for a while, but I mean, now we have Medvedev with his maiden Grand Slam, which is great. Also, something that people weren't talking about was that not only was this Djokovic's chance for the calendar slam, it was also his chance to get to 21. And yeah, his chance to surpass Federer and yeah. at all. So. I guess people just shut up after he lost. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little harsh, but um, yeah. We'll explain yeah. more later. Anyways, so, the, yeah. You want to? Yeah, I can, sure, I can take this part. But we were going to talk about how the crowd was a big factor in this match. And it got pretty crazy. I was watching the match, and I was, like, it was just so bizarre. This is the first time I've ever seen the New York crowd so in support of Djokovic. It was literally all for Novak. And honestly, it got pretty icy at times. When on Medvedev's first match point in the third set, the crowd started booing and he had double faulted. This happened a second time at 5-4. But then on the third time, he, you know, was able to play through the booing. He hit an amazing serve and Djokovic wasn't able to return it. And I think considering Medvedev's history in New York two years ago, that was a pretty iconic way for him to sort of be back with the crowd's energy. What is it that he said in 2019? Like, you know uh, what he it said? It was really, it was New York. It was, this is all your, like, this is all you. Something yeah, like yeah. It, it was your energy that made me win. I don't know. It was something like that. So later we saw more of this. And um, yeah, the crowd, of course, had a huge impact on this game. And in the third set changeover, actually, at 5-4 Medvedev, as Djokovic sat in his chair, like, the entirety of Arthur Ashe, except, of course, Shravia, because she was there, were chanting, no lay, no lay, no lay, hoping that and he... And this is right after Djokovic broke back. Yeah. Hoping that he would end up fighting, and, I mean wow Djokovic just he just sobbed into his towel knowing that he couldn't do it it was so heartbreaking to see and watch I mean when he first got up to um to play again I was looking because I hadn't seen actually what was happening in the changeover I only saw like a replay because I wasn't paying attention at the time and I saw his face and like his eyes were so clear and his nose was red and I was like wait is he crying right now? Because to see Djokovic break down in tears, not even at the end of the match, in the middle of a match, that was just something that I had never expected to see during that final. It was just, wow. Roger is supposed to be the crybaby of the big three. Why is Novak joining him? <laughs> no, but even for Roger, like, in the middle of the match, like, sure, yeah. when the match is over, that's fine, but, yeah, like, when the match and I think ended... 
I think the part that was so emotional for him, and he mentioned this in his speech as well, was that he finally got the New York crowd or had the New York crowd on his side and he couldn't close it out. And, you know, the amount of love for Novak that was in that stadium was crazy. There were flags, there were t-shirts, there were posters, there were people yelling and cheering for him and trying to lift him up. And while at times it did get pretty toxic with the booing of Medvedev, it was just fantastic. One of my friends, um, who's a huge Djokovic fan, said he used all the money that he made over the summer or, like, he asked for his joint, you know, birthday present and Hanukkah present to be to get him tickets to this final. And I could see him because he had pretty up-close seats and he was wearing a bright red Djokovic t-shirt. I could see him clapping and cheering so much. And I was talking with him after and he was really sad about it. But he also said, and we would talk about that regardless of that loss, being there where the whole crowd was just uplifting Djokovic so much and really showing love for him was something that, unfortunately, just given the way that people perceive Djokovic, isn't something you see that often, especially outside of, you know, I would say the tournaments in Serbia. Um, and to see that love for him and to see that celebrated was something special and something unique. And even as people like you and me, or like me and Josefina, I mean, who aren't, you know, Djokovic fans per se, it was heartwarming, I think, to see people show that level of respect and love for all that he's accomplished. And Daniil even said in his speech, like, I've never said this about anyone, but you're the greatest tennis player of all time for me. So, yeah, like, it, like this is an incredibly difficult achievement, and he's human too. Like, we, I, I think the way that we all kind of just expected him to go through and win it was is is alone a testament to how much skill Djokovic has had and how much dominance he has brought to the tour. Yeah, and I mean the cheering and the fact that the entire stadium was on his side finally, it did not go unnoticed by him. What he had to say about it was, of course, part of me is very sad. It's a tough one to swallow this loss. I mean, considering everything that was on the line. But on the other hand, I felt something I never felt in my life here in New York. The amount of support and energy and love I got from the crowd was something I'll remember forever. The emotion, the energy was so strong. I mean, it's as strong as winning 21 Grand Slams. That's how I felt, honestly. I felt very, very special. These are the kinds of moments that you cherish. So it was so great to see that, like, and by the way, he was breaking up into tears almost while saying this. So, I mean, wow, just (laughs) this final took a lot of emotional energy that I didn't think I needed to watch it. And the fact that Daniil lost and there was still that, like, I feel like everyone, like, I don't know. It was a tough win. I don't know how to explain it. Mm, yeah because he even said sorry like sorry to Novak and sorry to all the like Novak fans because of what he was going for one thing I was impressed by was Medvedev's sort of like class in his speech too like he acknowledged that he wasn't the fan favorite he acknowledged that he kind of came in as the villain and stopped history from happening yeah but I think that you know he showed you know it, it was nice so sweet to see him like Daniil also showing emotion because we also don't see that as much and I think it was really sweet as much as he does yeah seeing him so happy and you know genuinely excited the things he said about his wife at the end in his trophy Mm -hmm. acceptance speech it was their anniversary so it was just and I mean his wife was so happy it was just I it was a lovely trophy ceremony um, but let's talk a little bit about Medvedev's performance. He only dropped one set this entire tournament to Botic Van Zandvoort, the GOAT, as Josefina is now referring to him. He defeated Felix in the semis 6-4, 7-5, 6-2, and is just the third Russian man to win a Grand Slam singles title. And, you know, we've been waiting for this since he made that run to the 2019 U.S. Open final when he took Rafa out of five sets. And I was honestly getting nervous when Daniil went up two sets to love. I was like, in my head, I was like, nope, Novak is still going to win this. We saw what happened versus Tsitsipas at Roland Garros. We saw what happened last time Daniil was up two sets to love in a U.S. Open final. I mean, this could still go haywire, but I think it showed real maturity that he was able to close it out despite kind of, that must be creeping in the back of your head, like, how Djokovic came back at the French Open, how he did at the U.S. Open, two, how Medvedev did at the U.S. Open two years ago, how he lost to Djokovic in straight sets in the Australian Open final. Like, I, I thought that was really great. And one more thing. 
the fact that the two hardcore slams have had the same final of Djokovic and Medvedev has kind of just goes to show you how these two guys are the most dominant hardcore players by, like, by, like, no one else even comes close. Yeah. And um, Medvedev said about the final, it definitely makes it sweeter for the confidence and for my future career, knowing that I beat somebody who was 27-0 to zero in a year in Grand Slams. I lost to him in Australia. He was going for huge history, and knowing that I managed to stop him, it definitely makes it sweeter and brings me confidence for what is to come. So, I mean, on Medvedev's end, incredible from him because we saw that it had become kind of a pattern for Djokovic during this year's U.S. Open that... He loses the first set, the score doesn't really matter, and then he just completely obliterates his opponent in the next three, and he just kind of used the first set as like a warm-up even. Um, but really when he faced Medvedev, the difference was that Medvedev is the type of player that he won't drop his level. He's also a phenomenal player that he can keep up that same high level of play that he's been playing this entire tournament that got him to the final, got him that trophy. And I think that's something that Djokovic wasn't completely expecting, especially with all the pressure mounted on him about, obviously, the expectations people had for him even going into this tournament, especially going into this final, being 27-0 to in a year in Grand Slams. He had one more match. It came down to the point where everything, absolutely everything was riding on this one match for Djokovic and that amount of pressure to deal with as a human being, I think really it, we have to excuse him because like we said and like we learned on Sunday, he is human. Like we saw that when he broke into tears, we saw that when he thanked the crowd for the love. I mean, yeah, it was definitely a lot and that's why this was such a mentally straining final. But for Daniil to kind of work through all of that and knowing what Djokovic was working for knowing that like all this could all this could go away with him winning that's also a lot of pressure from Medvedev too honestly because he was going for his main in Grand Slam that's a big deal and I mean he got through so it really shows how I'm not gonna say mature because I mean we're about to talk about why um but he's just such like a like a stoic player he's he has ice in his veins basically and what josephina was referring to just now is daniel's iconic celebration so after he won like right as that point ended he started walking to the net and you know i had the same thought that we both thought that he was kind of doing his like iconic no celebration kind of thing but then he just literally throws himself to the floor on his side and everyone was so confused about what he was doing but, I mean, it's Daniil Medvedev. Unorthodox is his style. Just take a look at his forehand. Um, and what turned, what it actually was, was that, you know, in his trophy ceremony, he said, only legends will, will understand what I did after the match was L2 plus the left. So, Josephine and I are not like, legendary enough to know what that means. <laughs> um, but that basically is a FIFA PlayStation goal celebration called the Dead Fish Celebration. We know Daniil loves playing FIFA. Um, and he actually shared a funny anecdote about how when he was sort of at Wimbledon and running through the draw, he was feeling really confident. And he kind of just like, you know, at night was having just like some thoughts and was like, oh my gosh, imagine if I win this whole thing. And he was like, what do I want to, you know, to not sell? He said, quote, to not celebrate is going to be too boring because I do it all the time, referring to what he would do after he won. So he was starting to think of like, what's something funny to do as his post-win celebration. And he thought of the dead fish celebration so then he finally got the chance to do it at the u.s open which i think is amazing and um he even said later i talked to the guys in the locker room they're young guys super chill guys they play fifa they were like that's legendary everybody who i saw who plays fifa thinks that's legendary that's how i wanted to make it it's not easy to make it on hard courts i got hurt a little bit but i'm happy i made it legendary for myself so i thought that was pretty awesome he executed it pretty well yeah so finally, Novak Djokovic, the U.S. Open finalist. That's crazy to say, because every time we had a Grand Slam, we would say the winner. But um, yeah, so 
We already talked about it. We pretty much broke it down for you guys. He was playing for the Calendar Grand Slam and that 21, which would have put him above Roger and Rafa, which would have been huge. But yeah, the nerves got to him. He even admitted to it that he just couldn't do it. Um, But yeah, he's had a near perfect season except for this match in the Olympics, basically. But really, it shouldn't be discounted because just to expect for a human being to play that perfectly, that robotically and mechanically for an entire year, that's basically insane to ask of. But the fact that we expected it of him just shows the type of player and the type of skill that he has. So what he said about the pressure um, he felt in the final was the buildup for this tournament. Everything mentally, emotionally I had to deal with throughout the tournament in the last couple of weeks was just a lot. And we could definitely understand why, because like I said, everything, everything that he worked for this year led up to this one match. And that's just, it's just a lot of pressure to deal with. So yeah, it got to him. Um, But the singles wasn't the only, um, the men's and women's singles tournaments were not the only things going on at the US Open actually. And we had some phenomenal accomplishments on the wheelchair wheelchair tour. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so while Djokovic wasn't able to complete the Golden Slam or the Calendar Slam, we actually had a bunch of wheelchair athletes able to do so. Didi DeGroote won the Women's Singles US Open and completed the Golden Slam, soon followed by Dylan Alcott in the Men's Quad Singles event about two hours later on the very same court, which was pretty amazing. And Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed won the men's double wheelchair calendar slam, um, which was pretty epic. And, um, you know, it's just amazing to see what these athletes can do. Can do. Josephine and I actually got a chance to watch a little bit of wheelchair tennis and of Dylan Alcott's match. And it was just so emotional to see at the end his reaction and, you know, his um, the way that he and his opponent hugged at the net. And his final, words that- his opponent was great. Yes, uh, he was really impressive, only 18 years old, and mm-hmm. he was playing really well. Like, that first set, the 7-5, he had Alcott on his heels. No, um, honestly, was I was really, like, uh. Yeah, <laughs> I was getting scared. Um, but it was just amazing to see them accomplish those amazing feats. They are some really, really, um, you know, incredible athletes. And then as far as some of the other results we had at the U.S. Open, um, we had Sam Stozer and Shua Zhang winning the women's doubles title. We had Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram winning the men's doubles title. And then Joe Salisbury thought that one trophy wasn't enough, so he and Desiree Krajic then won the mixed doubles title. So lots of fun stuff from our favorite tournament of the entire year. We're so sad to say goodbye, but we're also a little bit exhausted from it, so maybe it's good that we have have this break but i think it's safe to say that you know in in just a little bit of time we're going to be looking forward to august and flushing meadows once again thank you so much for joining us and that is game set and match for today If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you with all the coverage of the rest of the season and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as the 2021 indoor season continues and Indian Wells approaches. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Stravia. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time. <laughs>